In the spirit of April Fools, Adam and I decided to give you guys six players who we think might fool you by outperforming expectations and five who we think will fool you by underperforming expectations. Welcome to the Goal Line Fade Podcast. So with, uh, with the quarantine protocol in place, with social distancing in place, unfortunately, Daniel and I are not in the same room recording this today, um, but we do, <laughs> we are very interested, or at least I'm interested to, uh, to try and understand what the dialogue will look like today, not being able to see Daniel's face with some of these reactions. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of players that I think are going to outperform some of the expectations set for them this year. And then some that I think are just not going to live up to the expectations whatsoever. So in this April Fool's edition uh, episode of the Goal Line Fade podcast, might as well start off with with the first name that's going to outperform expectations. Uh, We'll go with A.J. Brown from the Tennessee Titans. In his rookie year, he was fantastic. Uh, 84 targets, 52 catches, uh, just over 1,000 yards and 8 touchdowns. Um, as far as I'm concerned, he's just going to light it up in his second year. I think that like it was a pretty impressive rookie season. I think he could be even better in his second year, and the numbers will show. Yeah, so I will just say that Adam and I did not talk through this list beforehand. So these are our Adam's picks, and it'll be fun for us to kind of work through um, which of these I agree with him on and which I think he's absolutely missing something about these players. But A.J. Brown, to me, is just such a clear choice for one that he nailed. I think A.J. Brown, we saw... Um, the beginnings of a, of a star last year in Tennessee in an offense that was really built around the run. He was able to excel at um, just a receiver they used in a lot of really creative ways, not like Debo Samuel level, but um, they just wanted to get the ball in his hands. And what did that average end up being? You said 54 catches for over a thousand yards. He averaged like 20 yards a catch, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. And he, he got the ball in different ways as well. I think he had like three rushes for 60 yards and a touchdown or something like that as well. So I feel like Tennessee's really going to know how to use this guy in his second year. And I think there's a lot of reasons to look forward to um, him taking a big jump in his second year. First of all, uh, oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Yeah, a big thing for him will be um, having Ryan Tannehill for all 16 games. Last year, obviously, Marcus Mariota was their starting quarterback, and uh, he has no willingness to really throw the football, let alone to get it to a guy like A.J. Brown, who is a real deep threat. So even just having Ryan Tannehill for 16 games, I think, will make his stats go through the roof. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's huge to have that consistency. Um, I think that's something that a lot of receivers would tell you is that consistency is very key. Um, the other thing that sort of benefits A.J. Brown and his situation is he really isn't the, the focal point of that offense, I'll say. Because of the fact that, that team relies so heavily on the running game, and Derrick Henry specifically, I'm... I feel quite confident in the fact that A.J. Brown, um, he, he won't be the person that you think about most when you're preparing for that Tennessee offense. I really think it will be Derrick Henry. And because of that, I think A.J. Brown could fly under the radar. And I think he could, like, week in and week out, um, just surprise defenses. He, he might not have the, you know, five or six catches a game, but I think there will be lots of opportunities for him to make big plays and impactful plays in games. So I would not be surprised to see that touchdown total go up. Um, obviously, I think his catches will go up from 52, but um, it would not surprise me to see him have a like a 75 catch, 1300 yard season with 10 to 12 touchdowns. Um, I really do think that that is possible. We've seen guys like DeAndre Hopkins. He had 36 more targets in his second year and 400 plus yards, like additional to his rookie season. 
Um, Odell Beckham Jr., 28 more targets. Julio Jones, 33 more targets. DJ Moore, 53 targets. Um, or sorry, 53 more targets beyond their rookie years. So I think that AJ Brown is, is going to follow this trend of players taking huge leaps in their second year and getting a lot more targets. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him progress. And uh, I think he could be a name that we're talking about around this time of year as, um, yeah, someone who far outperformed the expectations from last year. Everyone talking receiver. about next year's draft class being um, probably one of the strongest receiver draft classes we've ever seen. But the one from last year's draft, I think, is really showing that they could have been a class of a similar caliber in terms of receivers. The guys who have developed even out of not just the first round, but I think A.J. Brown and, uh, and Debo were both second-round draft picks, and they're both looking really good. That class could end up going down as one of the better wide receiver draft classes in recent memory. Yeah, absolutely. What was that guy's name from the Dolphins as well? Um, oh, the, the undrafted Preston Williams. Yeah. That yeah. kid was showing promise. It'll be good to have him back on the field. Yeah, and Michael Hardman, right? There, I mean, there's there's so many different names that you can list off from last year's draft class that were just phenomenal players in their first year. So there is, yeah, to your point, there's a lot of guys that in their second year could really pick it up. And like Nikhil Harry, what happens with him? Hollywood Brown, what happens with him? Both those guys didn't have huge seasons. And uh, for injuries, or, I mean, sorry, for uh, Nikhil, uh, injuries were a factor. So I w- it wouldn't surprise me to see those guys elevate as well, but I think A.J. Brown is the one that's most likely to, based on the situation that he currently finds himself in. Yeah. So the next name on the list is Cortland Sutton, another receiver, uh, this guy from the Denver Broncos. Last year, he had 124 targets, 72 receptions, 100 or 1,112 yards, and six touchdowns. Um I honestly think this year having a full season with Drew Locke, I think that this guy will flourish. Um, I don't think it's too surprising that his name is on the list. Um, Multiple times in the past, we've called him out as someone that we think is going to be a star next year. But it really wouldn't surprise me to see him and Drew Locke just have this great chemistry and with 16 games together, just put on a show. Um, In all of the games that they played together last year, uh, Cortland Sutton had at least four plus receptions. And a lot of the times they were five to eight targets a game. So that's really good to see. Um, He was getting the ball frequently. It wasn't always in high, like he wasn't always getting, um, you know, like 10 plus yards per catch, but still um, getting the ball quite frequently, putting up decent numbers. So um, that's really good for, for Cortland Sutton. And I think the nice thing about the Denver offense is they have two really strong running backs. Um, There's Philip Lindsay, who didn't have a great year last year. Um, and then there's Melvin Gordon, who also didn't have a fantastic year last year. But I think that their running game will be quite strong, ha- having those two guys in the backfield. So again, I think it's another situation where there isn't huge pressure on Cortland Sutton to put up huge numbers. Um, I don't think that he'll be the focal point of that offense. I think a lot of focus from the defensive perspective will be stopping that running game and uh, you know forcing Drew Locke to win them games still early in his career. So it would not surprise me to see him and him and specifically Cortland Sutton have Cortland Sutton have uh, big years. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of Cortland Sutton. I, one of my friends is a Broncos fan, as I've mentioned before, and he's a guy who um, I think most people are expecting, even with just a really solid stat line last year, to come out and do it um, even more, just to be another, right? We think of Demarius Thomas being the guy for so long on Denver who was their 
um, bigger body deep threat with a with the good size speed combination and it looks like Cortland Sutton is well set up to go and take that role he's a guy who honestly if you're in a league where for some reason people don't see the value in this kid to go grab him early in fantasy and just hang on because he is going to have such a good season and really that team um, weirdly enough actually feels to me like a team that could be pushing for a lot of success next season. Uh, the signing of Melvin Gordon was a big one, but Drew Locke has showed a lot of promise, as Adam already mentioned. He's, he looked good in his limited playtime last year. And um, yeah, overall, they just look like a team to me that really could um, be pushing for a playoff spot, maybe even a playoff run this year. And that also will elevate his play as he needs to to help carry that team. Yeah, exactly. It, uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see him have that type of year, quite frankly. Um, again, I, I think I could see him in the nearing the double-digit touchdown uh, range. Maybe not 10, but like if he got to 8 or 9, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, again, I could see him in that 1,200 yards range and maybe a couple more catches than last year. So if, if he got to 80 catches, um, yeah, I, I could see him stepping up those numbers. And uh, honestly, I'm being a bit conservative right now as I state what I think his potential numbers could be. But it wouldn't surprise me to see this guy elevate himself into conversation to be one of the best seven top five receivers next year, potentially. And that's like obviously very good company. So I'm probably talking a little bit too confidently about this guy. But no, I have lots of confidence that he can, uh, that he'll become a name in this league that we're all accustomed to for sure. The next name on the list, Daniel, I feel like this is the one you're going to pick on me for. Is this, uh, is this you wanted to talk about good old Cleveland Browns quarterback, Baker Mayfield? Yeah, that's the one. Are you opposing and, my view of Baker? Yeah, I think it's hard for me because I, I was super high on him coming out of college. I actually um, was quite proud of the fact that I was calling over a month before the draft that he would be the first overall pick uh, when literally nobody expected that to be the case. And then Cleveland took him and I was like super hyped and he had a really good rookie season and I was feeling real good. And then this year happened and it was like, oh, oh no, that's not great. Um, and so I, out of curiosity, I, I was trying to think of other um, quarterbacks who were drafted really high um, and had a really good rookie season and then regressed a bit in their second season and what their careers looked like. And uh, weirdly enough, the guy that I ended up finding right away was Sam Bradford. And it's actually like pretty similar stats, to be totally honest. Um, obviously, Both from the league Oklahoma. Has evolved. Yeah. Oh, wow. I hadn't even thought about that. Um, <laughs> obviously, the league has evolved quite a bit since Bradford came to the league in 2010. But um, in 14 games for Baker Mayfield in 2018, just under or just over 3,700 yards, 27 touchdowns, 14 picks, 64-ish completion percentage. Sam Bradford in 2010 in 16 games, just over 3,500 yards, 18 touchdowns, 15 picks, 60 completion percentage. His second and third years, Bradford dropped off really badly and as I'm sure most people know, Sam Bradford really never amounted to even a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, he had, a, you know, one weird blip season with uh, with Minnesota where he looked pretty solid. But besides that, he just really wasn't uh, good. <laughs> um, and injuries definitely derailed the, the kid's career. But those kind of stat lines, like Baker showed so much promise as a rookie. Um, and then last year was like not terrible. Um, essentially equal numbers, touchdowns and picks, which you never want to see. And that to me is the concerning thing. I don't think that he's going to be 
like the most hardcore bust, but I have a feeling that Baker's peak might just be an average NFL starting quarterback. So I'm taking a different perspective and like completely understand with where you're coming from, from, you know, looking at a similar player in the past. And it's kind of funny that they both went to Oklahoma, but um, I was trying to think of with different coaching situations that are happening this year, what are changes that we expect to happen for different players across the league? And it would be really hard to look at the Cleveland Browns offense and not try to assess what that offense will look like and how it will be different functioning under the control of Kevin Stefanski. And so the reason I say that is looking at the way that he changed the Vikings offense last year, um, I'm quite confident that he'll be able to change the Browns offense similarly, and that will ultimately benefit Baker Mayfield. So uh, last year, Baker Mayfield threw 48 more times, uh, like 48 more attempts than his rookie season. He threw five less touchdowns and seven more interceptions, and he was sacked 40 times. And I believe the previous year it was 25 times or something along those lines. So the the change that I think Kevin Stefanski will make is that if we look back to Kirk Cousins in his first year at the Vikings in 2018, he had 606 pass attempts. And that was under the control of John DeFilippo until like, uh, you know, mid-December when he was fired after a, a loss to the Seahawks. But if we look at um, Kirk Cousins' stats in 2019, he only had 444 attempts. So dropped off his attempts by over 150 there, which is is huge, right? You don't force him to stand in the pocket and throw the ball as much. You allow other players in that offense uh, to take on a greater role and reduce the stress on the quarterback. And Kirk Cousins had a great year last year. In 2018, he had 30 touchdown passes and 10 interceptions. And in 2019, he did drop off touchdown-wise, but he dropped off proportionately for interceptions. So he was actually 26 touchdowns, six interceptions. And you mentioned it, right? It's not good that Baker Mayfield had 22 touchdown passes and 21 interceptions. I think the true impact Kevin Stefanski will have is that Baker Mayfield will not have to throw as much. I don't think he'll have to drop back as much. I think a lot of their offense will be predicated on um, running the ball. I think that, like, we saw Dalvin Cook have a huge jump in carries this past year. I think he went from, like, oh, I want to say, like, 130 his rookie year to, or not rookie year, but two years ago to, like, 250 last year or something. When I was looking at the numbers, I was just shocked. But anyways, I think Nick Chubb will be a a focal point of this offense. I think, again, like, the the Cleveland Browns are going to run the ball like crazy, and I think that's going to take a load off Baker Mayfield. He isn't going to have to be dropping back as much. He won't be sacked 40 times. They invested in their offensive line by going out and getting uh, Jack Conklin. So as far as I'm concerned, they're putting all the pieces in place through what they're doing in free agency to get him. I mean, obviously he had lots of weapons last year, but adding Austin Hooper is going to help. Um, I, I personally thought Njoku was a good tight end, but they went out and paid Hooper enough that got to wonder what their plan is there. So I, I really do think that they have a plan uh, to take some stress off Baker Mayfield's shoulder and, his numbers, as far as I'm concerned, his touchdowns will increase, his interceptions will decrease, and I think we could be talking about him as a, like not comeback player of the year. That's quite drastic, but I think he's going to have a, a really impressive year compared to what we saw this past year. And I mean, I guess, I, yeah, I would like that, to be honest, just because that would um, kind of increase the validity of my calling his going first overall a couple of years ago. But yeah, I just... I think Stefanski is the guy who definitely gives him um, a very real shot of 
performing much better. And like, yeah, like you were saying, it, it's not necessarily about having an absolute monster season. It's about making the good, making good use of the attempts that he's going to have in an offense. that will be more predicated on the run most likely. So yeah, out of him, like I'd love to see him drop those in like more than have those interception numbers, right? You want him at like 10, but if he's stuck around like 25 touchdowns, 10 picks and threw for 4,000 yards, I don't think like that would be a really good season for him. I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I think that that's, that's what my expectation for him is, is, um, yeah, that, that, that interception number goes down and who knows what that could look like, right? Think of all the possessions that you keep. Um, if you don't throw that many interceptions, think of the points that you put up and, um, potentially that could be the swing between them being a playoff team and not. So, uh, I really do think that there is great potential for Baker Mayfield and I, I didn't have him going first overall, or I didn't predict that like you, but I, I do personally really like Baker Mayfield and I want to see him be a successful player. So, I really hope that, uh, you know, that Kevin Stefanski can bring that change. Cause I, I do think, again, I, I'm harping on it quite a bit today, but taking some of that stress off his shoulders, allowing players like Nick Chubb, um, Kareem Hunt too, if he's, um, active for the year, if he's able to actually take some of the, the load off Nick Chubb's shoulders as well. Like if they're able to distribute some of those carries in the backfield, that would be a, a really fun offense to watch. And I think it would be, yeah, just, a <laughs> something that Baker Mayfield is actually proud to call, you know, uh, a good year as opposed to last year where it was just, it was quite disappointing. The the next couple players here are all on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so the first one is an, a name that I just, I've loved in free agency. He thought he was going to get paid a lot more than he did and um, ended up going to the Las Vegas Raiders and, Corey Littleton. Uh, Daniel, I'm not sure if you disagree with me on this one, but I think Corey Littleton is going to have um, a fantastic year with the Oakland Raiders. And I think that he was, or sorry, Las Vegas Raiders. And I think he was quite underrated in free agency. And that's why I'm putting him in this category because I don't want people to forget about how good of a signing that was. Yeah, this is one of those players who has a really, really fascinating skill set because he is a, a very, very athletic linebacker, which um, generally is something that's valued extremely highly in today's NFL as a linebacker who can effectively go sideline to sideline and keep up with um, running backs, maybe even slot receivers um, in terms of speed. So I, I do like the fit in, in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. That feels weird to say. Um, I know. But yeah, the, like you said, they definitely are a team that um, has a lot of pieces in place on defense to have a lot of potential to, to make things happen. Um, and there's going to be obviously a lot of factors that end up playing into that. How do their draft picks from last year continue to develop? How do these free agent signings mesh together? Um, they're getting their uh, their young safety back after a, an early season, season-ending injury last year. How is he going to be? Is he going to still be able to play at a high level? Is he going to play at a high level? So all of those things will impact Corey Littleton's performance just by having more guys around him who offenses have to pay attention to. But um, I do love his skill set in the modern NFL. Um, I love his skill set against a team like Kansas City, where you just need some extra speed in different areas to make sure plays can be made. Um, I imagine that he could make Patrick Mahomes' day kind of miserable if they use him almost in a spiral, right? He's fast enough and athletic enough to make plays against um, this new breed of quarterbacks who can run, as well as 
linebackers, slot receivers, or running back slot receivers. And that could mean that, yeah, this could be a season where he goes off for an absurd amount of tackles, go, goes flies around, gets a few picks, four fumbles. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you covered a lot of it, right? Like, they brought in a lot of names to, to make this defense a lot more successful than they were last year. Um, they didn't have the greatest amount of pressures last year. I know that their um, their defensive line they got two decent draft picks. Uh, Max Crosby was especially good, and then Cleveland Farrell, who was the fourth overall pick, didn't exactly live up to the fourth overall pick this year. But um, still, they got a lot of young pieces on that team. They built their defense quite a bit in free agency and appeared to have focused on that defense. So I, I really do feel like they're bringing in the pieces to make this Raiders defense a lot stronger. Um, of course, we've talked about it time and time again since the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, but that really is what you have to do now in this NFL is each offense that comes up that's um, you know that's winning as much as they are, that's dominating the league like the Chiefs, you have to be setting up your defense to actually overtake that powerful offense, right? Or at least slow them down to some capacity. So um, it's really interesting to see how the Raiders beefed up in free agency. And I, I think that, to your point, Corey Littleton's skill set perfectly fits um, covering a team like the Chiefs, right? If he does need to play in coverage a bit more, if he does need to be um, going after Mahomes, whatever the case is, I, I do think that this is a great signing and all the complimentary pieces they're bringing in, I think will take some stress off his plate and just allow him to have a fantastic year. So um, I'll keep harping his name almost all year. And with each great game he has, I'm going to remind everyone of this episode right now because, um, yeah, definitely a name that you can't forget about. And that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced the Raiders got a steal out of him. You've got another uh, linebacker who's been linked to the Raiders in the past on this list. And this one, I think you'll be surprised, but I'm actually going to want to push back a little bit. So why don't you talk about him, and then we'll, we'll see where that goes conversation-wise. Absolutely. So the next name on the list, and this is something that I heard a decent amount um, as soon as Robert Quinn signed with the Bears. But I think Khalil Mack is going to have another outstanding season this year. And I say another outstanding year, not because he did this past year, but because of what he did two years ago in his first year with the Bears. Um, last year was, I think, only the second season in his career that he didn't have double-digit sacks. He went down from like 12 and a half sacks to eight and a half or something along those lines, which, I mean, is still good. But just when you're, when you're talking about Khalil Mack and the year before he was one of the best defensive players in the league, last year was a little bit of a disappointing year. And the analysis that I've heard is that the Chicago Bears going out and getting a guy like Robert Quinn to put on the other side of Khalil Mack will put even more stress on offensive lines. So if you think you understood how your offensive line was going to prepare for Khalil Mack, or your offense, I should say, because your running backs are going to have to chip, and it's not just on your your left tackle to help take Khalil Mack away. But um, I think that you have to complement some of the players that you already have so that, again, like offensive lines cannot focus on Khalil Mack now. I think Robert Quinn, is, as far as I'm concerned, is quite dominant. He had 11 and a half sacks last year, 13 tackles for loss, 22 quarterback hits. Um, I, I really do think that they went out and they got a guy and, and gave him a, a lot of money because they knew that he's going to bring out the best in Khalil Mack as well. Um, think about the quarterbacks that you're going after in that division. You got Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, and Matthew Stafford. Um, if you can wreak havoc in their lives, it makes your job a lot easier as a, as a secondary for the Bears, makes the linebackers' jobs a lot easier. So as far as I'm concerned, I think Khalil Mack is going to have uh, an amazing season because very specifically because of the addition of Robert Quinn in that defense. 
I definitely get that argument. Like Robert Quinn, uh, especially early in his career, he hasn't um, really ever been back up to that level of play. As far as I can remember, was a really, really dominant defensive end in the NFL. He was scary. Um, he was a high draft pick for the, the Rams and, um, yeah, really was. Yeah, had a 19-sack season in his third year. He was just a monster pass rusher. Um, and until last year, had really quieted down again. Then last season in Dallas, he was able to pick up 11 and a half sacks, which was the first time that he had broken double digits since 2015. So I do question the kind of production that they're actually going to get out of Robert Quinn. Having those two on a line together is definitely scary. But even then, like, Khalil Mack... For, yes, absolutely. One of the better um, linebackers in football. One of the best, for sure. Um, but, like, Adam, would you off the top of your head know what the most sacks he's had in a season has been? Is it 12 and a half? He, no. So he's had, he had a 15-sack season in his second year. Oh, okay. But since then has been right around that, like, 11, 10 and a half, 12 and a half mark, um, where he really excels is forced fumbles. In his two, last two years in Chicago, he has 11 forced fumbles, which is just absolutely absurd to pop <laughs> the ball out that many times. But that's why I, I do question how much Robert Quinn will actually help him out because, um, I mean, I guess, and it depends too if you're talking stats-wise or just performance-wise, because I have a feeling that Khalil Mack, stack-wise, is probably that in that range um, as a pass rusher, that 10 to 14-ish range, um, but again, just absurdly good at getting the ball out when he's there. So it's not that I think um, Kalimak's going to have a bad season. It's just that I don't think he's going to, I don't think you can do much better than he is. I, I have a feeling that um, pass rush wise, he's kind of maxed out at those numbers. And I mean, if he continues like what, maybe he'll force 11 fumbles next season alone. And that'd be crazy, but um, <laughs> it's pretty hard to improve upon the numbers that he's set for himself. Fair enough. So like, what would you say is the ceiling for sacks for him this year? Like what, what if he passed, would you say was a like over deliver for this year? Like if he hits 15 again, he hasn't hit 15 since 2015, which like also just blows my mind. Khalil Mack is almost 30. It's, oh goodness. It feels like he was drafted like a year ago, but <laughs> it's true. Yeah. yeah. He, he, to me, like if he can break that, that 15 or like right 16, the one a game kind of thing, like, that's where I'd be really impressed and would say that Robert Quinn had a huge impact on him. And again, if he can keep those forced fumble numbers up, because to me, those are kind of what defined him as a player, his ability to turn the ball over. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and maybe it's, maybe that's where the success lies as well as the, the forced fumbles go up, even if the sacks don't directly. But um, I think that he will have a, a greater impact this year. And I think that uh, like it, it was hard not to talk about Khalil Mack his first year with the bears two years ago. And I mean, this past year, you sort of forgot about him and it was because Chicago wasn't as relevant. So that's fine. But um, yeah, I, I just think that he'll be top of mind again for a lot of teams. Uh, the next, <laughs> I guess, can't really say player, but I think the next unit on this list, um, as far as who I think is going to overperform the expectations set for them this year is the Detroit Lions defense. Um, last year we ranked, or sorry, last week we ranked where we thought all the teams were going to uh, to be in, as far as standings um, in their division. And I think both Daniel and I had the Lions sort of towards the end. And so some of the moves that the Detroit Lions have done in free agency, though, have, um, have made me a, a believer that Matt Patricia is 
going all uh, all in in his last attempt as head coach of the Lions. I truly think that this is his last opportunity as a head coach to keep this job. And if he doesn't have a successful year this year, I think he will be gone. So as far as I'm concerned, him going out and getting guys like Jamie Collins, um, trading for Deron Harmon, going out and getting Danny Shelton, who he didn't actually coach with the Patriots, but um, obviously familiar with the way Bill Belichick coaches players and is confident that Danny Shelton will fit fit into his system. Um, going out and getting Desmond Trufant, Reggie Ragland. I, I really do think that Matt Patricia went all in his defense this year. Um, cause we know that the offense isn't the problem in Detroit not having Matthew Stafford for a good chunk of the year last year was obviously a big deal, but I, I really do think their investment in their defense this off season will pay off. And, uh, that's why I'm, I'm really excited to see what this defense looks like. If you can have a strong defense in that division, there's a good chance that, um, that you could win that division. The Bears did it two years ago. Um, the Packers did it this past year, right? Like defense really is the difference maker in the, the NFC North. Yeah, I, this one is hard because last year the Lions defense um, had the personnel where they should have been better than they were and they weren't. They just underperformed um, under a defensive head coach. And I I don't think personnel is the problem in Detroit. Just based on all of this drama with Darius Slay, I have a feeling that the problem is that Matt Patricia really does not have the respect of a lot of his players. It was fascinating to me then the time when Darius Slay just so – so came out against Patricia that no players really stepped up to defend him and say that he wasn't like that. That I think was really telling. Um, and as much as players aren't going to intentionally play worse for a head coach they don't like, it's also very hard for them to get motivated to play at their very, very best. And I think that might be his biggest issue. If Matt Patricia really isn't likable as a head coach, the unit is just not going to be able to perform um, to the same level. Obviously, yeah, personnel-wise, I mean, Jamie Collins probably is a bit washed up at this point. Deron Harmon is a, is a solid starting safety. Danny Shelton can clog up the middle. They already have transfers. They brought in Desmond Trufant, who has been a very good corner. And they're likely, uh, I've seen mock drafts, having them either get Chase Young, if they get really lucky with Washington making a weird pick, or landing that corner, whose name I can't currently remember. But um, their, their defense will continue to get better over the offseason. And I think it will all lie on Matt Patricia to actually be able to inspire his team to play better because, yeah, they have all the pieces in place to be a really good defense. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. Um, we saw that with Bill O'Brien, too. It's just all these Patriots assistants, I guess, just really have people issues. I don't know if that's a, a thing, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's a good point, right? If you don't want to play for the, the coach, then that does cause an issue. But it's true. Like, the Lions do have the opportunity to go out and get Chase Young, potentially, uh, Jeffrey Akuda from Ohio State University. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, right? Like, when, when we talk about outperforming expectations, I, I had the note in our notes here that last year they, they ranked, uh, I think it was 26th. Defense, uh, like points per game, I believe was the the stat used there. So, twenty sixth in the league points per game. If they got into the top fifteen, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I think a lot of the times, especially with the Patriots type defenses and the people who are familiar with the Patriots system, it's not necessarily the big name players. It's the players that the coaches know how to get the most out of, and that's why I feel like this free agency period for. The Lions was specifically going out and getting players that Matt Patricia is familiar with 
has a good relationship with and knows how to use um, to the peak of their potential. So I, I don't necessarily see Jamie Collins as washed up. I think that, again, like he went to a situation before when the Patriots traded him to the Browns that just didn't fit him. Um, it didn't work out for him. And when he came back to the Patriots that much older, he was still able to have a, like pretty good success. So as far as I'm concerned, a lot of what I'm seeing is that it's not necessarily um, you as a player, but it's like, do you fit into the system where you're going? Which is why a lot of the players we're talking about in the underperforming section, um, not all of them, but some of them definitely do fit that same category of, do they fit in this system? Where, where, do, they, where do they stock up and how do they mesh with the people that are already in that system? So um, yeah, I, I just have my optimism that Detroit's defense will be better. And again, 26 than points against they it's not like they can be too too much worse so uh i think that there's a lot of potential for them to be a, a stronger defense this year for sure so those are our six players or i guess five players in a unit that we think definitely have the potential to overperform the expectations that um, people are kind of setting for them at this point in the off season we also have a few that we're thinking are probably going to underperform or people are expecting to go players um, in situations where there's a lot of hype around them or players who um, have just had some solid seasons but are now kind of in a different situation because of the team changing around them or them changing teams entirely. So, Adam, the first one on this list um, was absolutely crazy for me to see, but as I've thought about it more, I think you're right. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, and honestly, this is this is actually kind of an easy pick, Daniel. Um, it sounds probably a bit, like, I don't know, What's the word I'm looking for here? Um, Paul Howard, like it, it sort of feels like, you know, those stupid announcers that just go out and make a, like a nasty comment like this. That's um, yeah. Anyways, I, I think that Michael Thomas, he's just, he's not going to have as good of a year as he did last year. And I say it's Colin Coward, like, because um, going out and picking a name that had probably the best year of his career and probably, I mean, one of the best receiver years ever, considering he broke the single season rece- uh, receptions record um it, it's hard to beat that right how are you going to go out is he going to have 150 catches next year instead of 149 is he going to have more than 1700 yards next year um as far as i'm concerned there's a lot of reasons why he won't have as good a numbers and one of them is just because of the fact that it's hard to do much better than he did last year so that's why i wanted to call him out specifically so being a bit more controversial to your point last week, right? Got <laughs> to be a bit more controversial to get some listens. But um, I think that it, he fits into this category nicely. Um, defenses are going to know how to stop him after an offseason. They're going to know how to clue in on him. Defenses are going to know what players they need to put on him to make sure that he doesn't get his open um, in the slot or down the field, whatever the case is. I think Emmanuel Sanders will impact the amount of targets that Michael Thomas gets. And I think like Drew Brees is getting older and he didn't drop off too much last year, but I could see them putting a lot more emphasis on the running game with, uh, with Murray and Kamara. Yeah, I think, and that's why, like, as I thought about this one more and more, I realized like, Oh, like the drop off is more about how good he was last year. Not that we think he's going to be bad this year. He's a guy who yeah, obviously had just an absolutely insane season. Uh, now they brought in Emmanuel Sanders, which was a big signing there to compliment him. Um, and obviously, like I've heard Drew Brees' arm referred to this offseason as a 30-yard arm. Like he's is starting to lose his arm strength. As much as Michael Thomas generally works underneath, that also does ruin the zip that you can put on balls underneath, and that makes it harder for receivers to make plays on them. So I think 
yeah, he is going to underperform expectations solely because I think people expect him to be the best receiver in football every every week now. So, yeah, I still wouldn't be shocked for him to do 120 catches, 1,200 yards, and eight touchdowns. But after this yeah. season, pretty much anything will be a disappointment. Exactly, right? It's just, it's, um, it's simple math. When you go out and break a, a record, the next year there's a very good chance that you're not going to be able to out like outperform yourself from the year prior. So um, if there's 17 games, you know, that reduces some of the, the strain or, you know, um, provides a little bit more opportunity for him to get those numbers again. But I, I don't see him hitting those, those targets. Um, the next one is a little bit harder to defend from a controversial standpoint, Daniel, but I'm, I'm curious to see if you understand my logic behind this one. Yeah, I think I understand where you're going with this. And I mean, he's a guy who um, has shown that he can just kind of essentially turn on a team if he doesn't like what's happening. So I think that should be a concern uh, for Buffalo. But um, yeah, you have Stefan Diggs listed as a guy who you think will underperform. And I mean, to be fair, he hasn't actually, like, he, he has a very uh, high reputation. Um, and I think, like, justifiably so. I mean, kid is kid's only 20, he'll be 27 years old next season. And last year averaged 18 yards a catch, six touchdowns, 1,130 yards. He had a good season. Um, but realistically, like, he hasn't ever been, like, an all-star, number one, absolutely going to shred a team every week kind of player. Now he's going on to a team that has two guys who performed really, really well last year. Yeah, and that's truly what my concern is, um, to be completely honest with you. So Josh Allen threw the ball 461 times last year. Of those 461 attempts, um, John Brown got 115 of them his way. Cole Beasley got 106 of them his way. The next highest target, Daniel, was Dawson Knox, who had 50 targets. And I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. So, of course, like some quarterbacks can throw into the 500 and the 600 attempts per year. Um, I think Jameis Winston last year had like 626. Tom Brady last year had 613. Um, there were a lot of players that are in the, you know, the 500 and 600. So that's fine. Um, Josh Allen can definitely throw the ball more. But I'm just, I'm a little bit concerned. We saw that John Brown had a really good season. Cole Beasley also had a really good season. And if they're going to use Stephon Diggs to his potential, I'm curious which of these players drops off. And I truly think because the new player coming in may not mesh with Josh Allen or may take longer to mesh. I think that um, everyone has these great expectations of what Stephon Diggs will be in Buffalo. And I think he'll be an impact player, but I don't expect him to have um, the success that everyone's talking about. Yeah. And I think the big thing to me is John Brown, because those two are pretty similar styles of players, which is, I mean, John Brown has some ability as as a short route runner, but both of them just like to go down the field and, and catch the deep ball. And I think John Brown, well, John Brown's definitely faster, even though Stephon Diggs probably does it better. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see, yeah, like, oh, if I had to predict a stat line for him on the year. I mean, looking back at, like, his 2017 season, uh, 64 catches, 849 yards, eight touchdowns, like, that to me looks like it could make sense. Um, I'd be shocked in that receiving core if he breaks 1,000 yards, though, just because there's a lot of mouths to feed there. Exactly. Right. It's um, in Minnesota. It was sort of a comfortable situation. He was complaining about not getting enough targets there, not getting enough looks. But if you look at his stats, it, it was really him and Adam Thielen that were competing for targets. And Adam Thielen is a great receiver. Absolutely. But 
<laughs> John Brown and Cole Beasley are, are two great receivers, not just Adam Thielen, right? There was no close third in uh, in Minnesota. So I'm, I'm really curious to see just how does that target share look? Um, so again, we're talking about Stefan Diggs as the player that might disappoint. And quite frankly, I think that is going to be the case just because he's the new one in that locker room. And Josh Allen does have that, you know, that chemistry with John Brown and with Cole Beasley. Um, so I think that that gives those two the advantage. But really, we could be talking about John Brown as someone that is underperforming throughout the year. We could talk about Cole Beasley as someone that is underperforming throughout the year. I, I think Stephon Diggs and John Brown conflict more. I think Cole Beasley is a little bit different of a player, so he might not be as affected. But um, yeah, I can I can either see Josh Allen throwing the ball a heck of a ton more, um, which may not be good for the Bills considering his turnover habits. But um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. Just Josh Allen not turn the ball over and throw the ball 600 times a year and they all get 100 plus targets each? Or is one of them not happy because they're just not getting the ball in that offense that everyone's expecting to be lethal this year? So with that, then you have a couple of running backs who also, I would say for the most part, um, have been guys who have had moments. Uh, Neither of them have consistently shown to be um, absolute stars, but both of them definitely have had times where we were looking at them as maybe a really, really good running back. Um, so why don't you, yeah, let's start, let's start with the one from San Francisco and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Both these running backs were, were stars in the playoffs and um, well, both great players that were in the Super Bowl. Um, the first name is Raheem Mostert. And my concern here is purely from like the shared backfield. Um, they all, get a decent amount of touches. And while it's not huge numbers, Matt Breda and um, Kevin Coleman both get enough touches that I'm just, I'm not confident that Raheem Mostert will ever be a, a number one back. Um, and Raheem Mostert is like one of my favorite players in the NFL. Um, that's being completely honest with you. Like I, I really love the, the skill set of Raheem Mostert, but my concern with him is honestly just that the San Francisco 49ers do not give him the ball uh, at the volume of a, uh, a full-time running back kind of thing. Like Ezekiel Elliott, we see him get the ball 20-plus times a game for sure. Um, Saquon Bar- Barkley, same thing, right? A lot of those top running backs in the league, we see them getting the ball that frequently. And Raheem Mostert, you're just never going to see that. The most carries he had last year was 29 versus the Packers in the NFC Championship game. The next week in the Super Bowl, he had 12 carries. When, as far as I'm concerned, they would have... I mean, his. I think he had 12 carries for 58 yards. So... He was having a lot of success on the ground. Um, it just kind of blows my mind that that they didn't give him the ball anymore in the Super Bowl. And um, other than that, in the regular season, the most carries he had in the game was 19. Um, as far as I'm concerned, everyone's expecting this guy to be a lot better than he was this past year just because um, we've seen how good he can perform. So giving him you know, the ball as a number one running back for the full year, people might expect that his success is going to go up in, in large quantities. And I'm just... I'm being a little bit um, skeptical of that just because of the fact that I really don't think that his carries will change all that drastically from this past year. Yeah, I think people forget that Jarek McKinnon is still going to be coming back into that backfield. And as much as he has had a very disappointing two years as a guy who, when he went to San Francisco, I think there were a lot of people expecting him to break out as a star there. Um, That's just another mouth to feed in an offense that already has a lot of running backs. Um, a couple of receivers, a tight end that they all want to get the ball, ball into the hands of. 
And I think, yeah, you're right. He is just a, he's the guy who has a really solid skill set. And he's shown that um, when he's on, he's on. But San Francisco has shown um, a commitment to just riding the hot hand. And so some games that isn't Raheem Mostert. And so he'll get like four or five carries. Uh, whereas some games he'll just go off and get 29, like we saw against the Packers and he'll light up. And I think that for any player just spells um, a lot of potential to disappoint because we want to see um, guys like him who have like a cool story. Like he's, he's bounced around rosters and finally kind of found his spot. And um, I think we all like to see him succeed, but his skill set is one that fits so well within a backfield set like they have. Um, and so, yeah, if underperforming means just continuing to be in that backfield as one of the, the people who gets the ball, then I think, yeah, that's absolutely probably what his career will look like. Yeah, another name that's in the San Francisco backfield, too, to your point of like just how many mouths they have to feed, is uh, I, I want to say Jeff Wilson Jr., if I think that's his name. Um, but yeah, yeah, another running back there that, that gets a decent amount of carries as well. And I, I say decent amount, but just like it, it might be like one or two per game, maybe three or four per game. Um, just takes away, right? It's um, you see these these number one running backs across the league, like, you know, Christian McCaffrey or um, Derrick Henry that just get the ball so frequently that it's it's their time to shine. And um yeah, to your point, I don't think Raheem Mostert will have a bad year. I just think that a lot of people, including myself, want him to have a fantastic year, want him to be a number one running back, want him to have 100 plus yards per game. And I just, um, I, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think he's going to stay at that same level and not necessarily elevate. And that's why I'm saying it will be a little bit of a disappointment for people that are building up his hype. Um, so, and, and honestly, I can quite honestly say with Raheem Mostert, I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope that I'm looking back at this at a later point in time and just thankful for the fact that he did do better than I thought because, again, he's one of my favorite players, and I can't stress that enough. Just love watching him play. But just based on you know, looking over the way that the San Francisco 49ers offense is handled, um, I think it's, it's hard to see him exceeding some of the, the numbers that he put up this past year. But... Yeah, the, the next running back on the list. Hey, wait, is, wait, uh, wait, Adam, hold up, hold up. Are you are you on Twitter wait. right now? No, I'm not. Why? Uh, okay, I can't tell if this is an April Fool's joke or if this is legit. But apparently, Alden Smith is signing with the Cowboys on a one-year, four million dollar deal per Ian Rappaport. No, it's got to be a joke. What the heck? Jay Glazer reported it. He re- this does not look like a joke. What in the world? Because they're like. This is like a very like sincere tweet. Mark Indiana before your absence, clean and sober now. Incredible how much he's turned his life around. What the heck? You really hope they're not kidding if they say that. What are the freaking odds? This kid was insane when he was in the league. He was going to end up being one of the best pass rushers like in the league, if not in league history, if he had kept at the pace he was on. This is crazy if this is true. Anyway, sorry, that just popped up, and I was like, I, I can't, that's, that's nuts. Yeah, no, that's a big signing. Well, and we, talk, well, we talked about Robert Quinn earlier, and looks like the Cowboys are pretty active in finding his replacement, Alden Smith, if he is cleaned up, and hopefully that's the case. Um, I mean, he'll be 30 and hasn't played in the league in five years, but, I mean, we'll see if he has any tread left on his tires. That's crazy, man. And it looks like it's real. We're talking on an April Fool's. 
type episode where we're talking about players that could fool you. True. And yeah, maybe, maybe I don't want to take for granted that that actually is uh, a legit tweet that he is back in the NFL. But I mean, if he is cleaned up, hopefully that's the case, then good for him. But anyways, yeah. Um, okay, seems boring now. Let's talk about Daniel Williams. He announced it personally. There it is. That's nuts. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, that, that got derailed real, real quick, but that's just crazy. <laughs> Apparently, he's still waiting, still awaiting full official reinstatement from the league, but the process is underway. That was Mike Garofolo seven seconds ago. Man. 24 seconds ago. I yeah. really hope that he actually has some success now. If he cleaned his life up, like I said, like he had 19, 19, 14 sacks as a rookie, 19 sacks in the second season. Eldon Smith was just an, an otherworldly pass rusher. If, if he can come back and do that again, dang. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Now it's boring to talk about this, but <laughs> Damian Williams is a running back for the Chiefs. Not gonna, not gonna perform the way that he did in the Super Bowl. Not gonna carry that out for 16 games. Not gonna be the superstar we all want him to turn out to be. Yeah, that one. That feels like your most obvious on this list to me. Um, Damian Williams Oof. has has a bit of a skill set. Um, you know, he can he can catch the ball. He can run it fine between the tackles, but um, realistically, just doesn't. Really, I like I've never seen him as a number one running back. I get that some people have, but um, to me, this one's pretty obvious. I, I feel like I don't have a ton to add. He just feels to me like a guy who is in an offense that isn't built around the running back, and he's not really a special talent at running back either. But see, what's interesting is, and I think that I mean, because he a lot of people said that, including ourselves, said that he should have been MVP of the Super Bowl, and so that's why I think that there is a lot of hype built up that everyone in the playoffs saw how good this guy was and how much he contributed to their offense. Um, he had 111 carries in 11 regular season games. He had 46 in the three playoff games. So I think it just goes to show that a lot of people are thinking that this momentum that he built over the course of the playoffs could be extended into next regular season. Um, and maybe he could be that number one running back in the league. As far as I'm concerned, this is far too much of a passing offense. Um, it just doesn't make sense to, you know, to think that this guy will be a, a top running back in the league. I, again, I just think it's the volume. I think it's just, um, as opposed to Raheem Mostert, who's competing with other running backs, I think Damian Williams is competing with the fact that they have probably the best quarterback in the league and some of the best weapons in the league. And I just think that that offense will always be predicated on the pass. And uh, yeah, he just won't be the superstar that player, or sorry, that people want him to turn out to be just because he's not Again, not the focal point of that offense, and uh, they really don't use him all that often. Um, he's a great playoff player, but I think that that's the extent of of his name as a superstar. His last name, I feel like, is going to physically paint, or maybe not. Like I don't know where you're at this whole thing. Um, I am going to disagree, but I want to hear you break this down first so that we can talk about it. So, <laughs> Tom Brady. Um, this one, I, I want to be more controversial today because of the fact that, um, I think people are crowning the bucks and I don't agree with that whatsoever. Um, I think last week when we were talking, I had the bucks at second in the NFC South. Um, I think that they're going to be good. I think they're most likely going to make the playoffs, but they're not a Super Bowl caliber team just because they signed Tom Brady. 
Um, there's a couple of things to keep in mind, and I want to call those out for reasons why Tom Brady isn't going to have the best year of his career at the age of 43. Um, first things first, this is a new offense for Tom Brady. It's, I mean, the first time in how long that he's actually had to learn a new offense. He's had, you know, pretty consistent coaches throughout the majority of his career, um, whether it was Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien, then Josh McDaniels again. A lot of it are familiar faces, and he knew the offense over quite a bit of time, and it was just a matter of adding new players. Now it's, you know, him going into a brand new offense, having to understand a new offense. Um, that that really troubles me. I, I don't imagine it's too hard for him at this point in his career, so I don't see it holding him up too much. But he has to learn that whole new offense on top of getting to know all of his weapons as well and understanding their skill sets, building the chemistry with them. So that, first of all, is um, a bit of a concern for me. And he did show signs of regressions last year. Um, I'm, I'm just, is he... A great player? Absolutely. Is he going to help make this team strong? I think so. I just don't think that he's as good as everyone's building him up to be from a hype perspective at this point in his career. And that's where my concern lies is not because he's not a good player, not because um, he isn't going to have a good season, but because of the fact that I think that people are way too much overhyping how good he's going to be this year. See, to me, I look at this and I just see Tom Brady, maybe with the best set of weapons he's ever had. Um, like, okay, he had no Randy way. Moss and Mike... Wes Welker. Randy Moss and Wes yeah. Welker one season. Uh, Gronk and, and Edelman for others. And I, I get that that was really, really strong. But Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, um, OJ Howard is still there. This is a really, really good offense. Um, and yeah, the, the offense... The offensive scheme will definitely be a question mark, but I have a feeling we'll see a bit of a hybrid between a New England-style quick-hitting offense and a Bruce Arians throw-the-ball-heckin'-deep-as-much-as-possible-and-hope-that-it-works kind of offense. Um, I like Okay, Tom Brady is 43 years old going into this season. He's not going to be you know, throwing 60 touchdowns Patrick Mahomes-style but I, I don't think that Tom Brady is going to disappoint this year. I think this might be his last season where he has the opportunity to put up good numbers. I have a feeling, um, well, I've, I've said a few times, I don't know if it's been on the podcast or not. I think he's probably one big hit away from his career just being over. But he, by like all accounts, still is capable of throwing the ball well enough. Um, I don't think I saw as much regression last year as you did as much as I saw an offense that was sputtering and a quarterback who was trying to hold it all together. But I believe in him in Tampa Bay as much as I wish that I didn't have to. And see, that just, but like, there's a lot of things that just um, catch me up about that situation. Like there's a lot of things that just don't allow me to sit comfortably. Um, I'm not confident in that Tampa Bay running game. Um, So was the Patriots running great, great last year? No, but there were some games where the Patriots did lean on that. And I mean, the Patriots have the 18th, uh, best running attack last year um, as far as yards per game I believe but the Buccaneers had the 24th and there was a, a little bit of a difference between you know 18th and 24th so as far as I'm concerned the lack of running game is also a concern as well um, Tom Brady isn't going to an offense where the running game will help him bail or will help bail him out I mean um, so that's also a point of concern because yeah they really don't have great running backs in that system and there really wasn't any consistency from the the running back perspective last year. So that's a point of concern. Um, obviously they do have a strong offensive line. They do have great weapons, but 
for me, it's just a matter of, is Tom Brady going to regress this year? Um, is he going to be able to throw as many times as the Buccaneers need him to? He had 613 attempts last year. Um, did not look as good as he has in years past, right? Even the year before when they made it to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. Um, I think that there was a decent drop-off. And yeah, part of that's because he just didn't have great weapons in place. That's fine. But there were a lot of times last year where you questioned, like, he he's not the same player that he once was. And I'm Tom Brady's biggest fan in the whole world. So it is quite painful for me to say that. But he is rounding out the end of his career. And so Jameis Winston last year threw the ball 626 times. So if Tom Brady has to throw the ball that many times, two years in a row, um, because there's a lot, like no running game there. I mean, he's he's got a good offensive line, so it's not like he's going to be taking too many huge hits. But as, as far as I'm concerned, just I don't, I'm not willing to buy into the hype. I'm not willing to crown them champions um, at this point in time because I don't think that he's going to, um, he's not going to be the difference that this team needed, I don't believe. Like, yeah, don't get I'm, me wrong. He'll, he'll still be good, but it's just he's not going to live up to the hype. Yeah, and I guess I can understand kind of where you're coming from with that. I do just think that um, the weapons there, man, like, it's <laughs> it's going to kind of feel like a night. Well, minus missing out on Julian Edelman, but I feel like it'll be night and day for him in that offense next year. But, no, those are – He's, yeah, so he's still are, 43, though. Like, uh, it's, it's true. I don't know. There was something about last year watching him. He just – he wasn't the same player last year. And I – like, I just – I don't know if I saw that the same way that you did. But that's okay. We're, we're going to get to see what he looks like in Tampa Bay and Bruce Arians offense. And that's – yeah, that's six uh, – well, five players in a unit that we think are going to overperform and, and five players who we think – or who Adam thinks are going to underperform – uh, going into next season. Adam, there were also a few tweets, as always, that, that kind of piqued your interest this week. So why don't you tell us about those? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one is a little bit more on the, the light side. So I saw this great tweet. Um, it was actually a, a, a quoted retweet by Bucky Brooks, and it was talking about um, receivers that, was, that were taken in the first round. And, um, you know, that it's talked about that you can take a running back anywhere in the draft. You don't need to take them in the first round because running backs aren't as valuable as some of the other skill positions. Um, but if you look at some of the first name receiver, or, sorry, first round receivers that were taken since 2015, um, a lot of names on this list, you, you sort of scratch your head now and you think to yourself, why in the world were they taken in the first round? So it was kind of interesting thinking about the draft coming up soon and how many wide receivers they're talking about going in the, the top 15 potentially. Um, it's interesting to think about all the names in the past that were, you know, lots of hype around them and where they ended up. So these are all the first round receivers since 2015. Amari Cooper, Kevin White, Devontae Parker, Nelson Aguilar, Rashad Perriman, Philip Dorsett, Corey Coleman, Will Fuller, Josh Doxson, Laquan Treadwell, Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross, DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, Marquise Brown, and Nikhil Harry. And there's a lot on that list that sort of send a shiver down your spine to think that they were taken in the first round. So it was, it was just really interesting when you look back at previous drafts and, and can acknowledge the fact that like, there was a lot of hype going into some of those guys. Like I remember Kevin White coming out of West Virginia, lots of hype, just, you know, injuries just derailed their career. It's uh, yeah. So it was an interesting tweet yeah. to look back and reflect on that before the draft. Yeah. 
it's so interesting, like, because some of those names, man, like Devontae Parker, I mean, I'm higher than most people, but I think that he's showing some some real skill. But like Amari Cooper is legit. Um, Will Fuller, when he's healthy, has been really good. Like, ooh, yeah, like <laughs> definitely. DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley have both performed definitely well enough. So, yeah, I mean, just like the rest of the draft, it's kind of hit and miss. Like, right, it's throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. But you go one round, one year back from that, 2014, and then you get Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Brandon Cooks, and then Calvin Benjamin, <laughs> but that's okay. But, like, that's way better. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why I was cut off at 2015, I can imagine. <laughs> because, yeah, you want to take out some of those outliers. Yeah. But it's interesting coming up to the draft and realizing just how many steals there are available in late rounds. And um, yes, we love buying into the hype of watching the first round and going on Twitter and seeing all the picks before they're actually announced. And it's all awesome. Um, But in reality, a lot of the players on day two and day three are also contributing just as much, if not more. So it just, it puts a lot of value into the, uh, the second and third days of the draft. Um, But the second tweet, and it's, it's not really, uh, one tweet, but a set of tweets. Um, there's a lot of players right now that are, you know, providing lots of philanthropic efforts to give back to their local communities, uh, give to the frontline healthcare workers that are helping fight uh, COVID-19. Um, this virus that we all find ourselves fighting in some way, whether it's staying home or whether it's actually working to try and um, reduce the impact. So um, it's just amazing to see all these players coming out and donating money to those people on the front line. Um, can't imagine being those people that are in the healthcare industry right now and going through what they're going through and having the stress of not only that, but trying to, you know, contribute to their family, see their kids, uh, spend time with their families. So um, I think that the effort that the NFL players and other sports um, players are going through is um, just, it, it's amazing to see that athletes giving back. Um, that's a concept that I love to see. And it was really cool. So specifically Drew Brees and his family gave, I believe $5 million to, uh, to Louisiana healthcare workers or something along those lines. And just wanted to call that out because I think it really is special to acknowledge when players make deeds as, as big as that. Yeah, it's been just really encouraging to see a lot of these NFL guys really just step up and um, do what they can with the, the crazy, crazy amounts of money that they make to play, to play a game. And I, have no issue with the contracts these players sign. We create a market by watching, and it's awesome that these guys can can make a living um, being entertainment for us. But it is definitely nice to see them give back, and in a time when there's a lot of bad news and a lot of discouraging stories going on, to have these guys really step out and um, give back to the people who make it so that they can play a game as their career, that's really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, on what is a, a nice happy note in a in a weird time? Um, I think that's a good place to end. And um, yeah, as always, we're we're working to to bring interesting content during this kind of dead zone in the NFL season. By all accounts, the NFL draft is still going to be happening in a few weeks here, and um, we're definitely looking forward to that. Even with um, no pro days and a lot of questions around a lot of these prospects because of all the lack of information, but it's still going to be good. The draft will be just as much of a mess as ever. And no one will really know if anyone's good or not. Um, And we'll be here every week until then. And of course, every week after then, continuing to break down everything that's going on in the NFL with um, our opinions, which we hope for the most part are kind of 
good, but I guess with, with an episode like this, we'll just have to wait and see going into next year. But um, yeah, we have <laughs> loved getting through this, especially during this time. It's nice to have just the distraction of football. So we'll see you all again next week. <laughs>